Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with this word. This season, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode is chapter 13, Above All, Love. So we are just trekking through this book. We're really getting close to the end. We'll have three more chapters after this. And I am so excited about this chapter. This is such an important chapter. And it's one that we're all so familiar with. We have it, um, we hear it a lot at weddings, but we need to apply this to our lives more than just on wedding days. Um, I want to remind you, because it's been two weeks since we've met, that this is in the middle of a, a section in scripture or a section in the letter that Paul was writing where he is talking about the spiritual gifts. He talks about many different spiritual gifts. And in fact, he ends the previous chapter with the last verse that says, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. He's about to show us a better way. And then he starts off very next thing he says is in chapter 13, if I speak human if I speak human or angelic languages, but I do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So before we get started, I do want to remind you that this is a letter written to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians is a city with the patron deity of love, Aphrodite. She has the largest temple here in Corinth and it is a, 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 a cult, um, it's a woman, mo mostly women ran cult, and uh, um, Aphrodite is the goddess of love. And so they are very familiar with love, but in our language, we have one word, love. And I can say that I love my husband, I love my children, I love God, and I can also say, oh, I love that outfit you're wearing, or I love pizza, or oh, I love that movie. And it's all the same word. Um, in the Greek language, they have four different words that um, talk about love so they, they can be more specific about um, loving your spouse, being different, a different kind of love than your friend or even pizza. And so we'll take a look at those words before we get started. The first word is eros. And that is the, um, the name Eros, E-R-O-S, was the name of Aphrodite's son. And it is their word for the sexual kind of love. So this would be a love that you have for your spouse. Um, it's that sexual kind of love. And then there's Storgy, S-T-O-R-G-E, and that's the family love. So I love my brother. I love my children with the storgy, storge love. Then there is P-H-I-L-I-A, um, philea love, and that is a friendship, deep love that uh, many scholars will ascribe to Jonathan and King David, that they had that deep, deep, intimate love from a friendship. And then there is a totally different kind of love that we're going to talk about today. This is... Um, a kind of love that is so intense that it is to be completely given over to one. The old King James 
calls it charity. Instead of love, it says charity, but charity does not have the same meaning in our culture as it did back then. But I do find it so interesting that back in King James' day, that a definition of love would be charity. It's this, that selfless love. It's a love that you give someone with no strings attached and you won't get anything in return. And it is the godly type of love. In fact, I'm just curious. I hadn't done a word study that deep on this, but my thoughts, you know, I always have questions and my thoughts were, are you even capable to have agape love without having the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this is a love from above. It's a unique kind of love. And this is the love that Paul is saying, above all else, we need to have this. That um, he had just gone through many, many of the important gifts of the Spirit. And one of them in the previous chapter was the gift of speaking in tongues. And here we see that there is a human form that we see in the book of Acts. It was where um, followers of Jesus, once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they began to, to proclaim the gospel but what they weren't speaking their native language. They were speaking a language unknown to them, but there were many pilgrims to the town that spoke all different languages across the land. And many of them were understanding because the gospel was being preached in their language. And it was a sign and a wonder for that day. But then it was also just really cool because the gospel was being preached by people who could only speak one language, but they had the capability of speaking in another known human language. But he also says in angelic languages. Um, in this was this gift of tongues in Corinth were, was particularly elevated above other gifts. Remember the Corinth the Corinthians are notorious for elevating things of importance and tongues was one of those things. Um David Gusick in Enduring Word said that the way this word tongues is used here refers to a supernatural language by which the believer communicated to God. Jews believed angels had their own language and by the spirit we can speak it too. So it this, I, I, I fall in line with David Gusick that you can speak in human tongues where I'm speaking another language even though I don't know it and somebody else can understand it or there is a language between me and God and it will be more like an angelic language. And I do that when I don't know what to pray. This gift they were elevating. And Paul is saying, you can speak in human tongues. You can speak in angelic tongues. But if you do that and you do not have love in your heart, then you are nothing but a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul is never just going to use phrases just... Um, Oh, this sounds good. This is a, a, a good thing to say. It's always practical things that are in everyday life of the people that he's writing to. And here the clanging symbol was used to accompany powerless idols. So this was something that you would hear in the temples, the gonging sound or the clanging symbols. And he's saying that's all you're going to hear um, if you don't have love in your life, it's, there's not going to be really any power to it. He goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, you know how they are about their mystery religions and you know how they are about having knowledge. You can have all of that. You can understand it all and you can have all the faith so that mountains can be moved. If you don't have love, you are nothing. Again, the enduring word said, I loved how this was worded, that a man can move a mountain 
but will set it down in the path of someone else if they do not have love. So can you imagine having that power, the power to move a mountain? Well, without love, you just set it in somebody else's path. Love, this agape love is us always putting the, the, the needs the, the thoughts of other people ahead of ourselves. That's exactly, Jesus was perfect love. He was perfect love. And we really can look at his life to see how love operates. And we need to look at his life to see how love operates. In fact, many, we all need to self-examine today, every single one of us. And it would be a beautiful thing if everyone in ministry that is, um, uh, uh, has a a platform and a voice for the Lord would examine and make sure that they are operating in love because if we don't have it, we're nothing but a clanging cymbal, a sounding gong, and we can turn people away. We are image bearers of Christ and Christ is perfect love and we have got to emulate that. And so we're going to talk today extensively of what that agape love looks like. What are the characteristics of agape love? Um, one of the, the Jewish New Testament commentary ex, um, defines agape love as giving of and from oneself expressed in acts of benevolence, kindness, mercy, in which heart, mind, and will are united because they are motivated and empowered by God. This love only comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, I told you earlier, I had a wondering if you could only operate in that with the Holy Spirit. I had forgotten that I had put that in my notes. Um, so it is when mind, will, and emotion all come together for the betterment of someone else. He goes on, Paul writes in verse three, and if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, talking about martyrdom, but I do not have love, then I'm going to gain nothing. So you could give everything you own to the poor. You could give your own body to the call and have it sacrificed or be martyred, you're not going to gain anything if there's no love behind it. Uh, that the giver does not, it's this kind of love is when the giver does not truly profit from anything. They're just doing it out of the kindness of their heart. The worldly profit um, that we gain can easily lead us astray. So if you find yourself successful at what you're doing, even though you're motivated by love, that success can draw you so far away from what God ever intended. And then you start, you start operating in a, um, in a mindset of, well, I, I'm so good at this and, Ooh, I'm, I'm suddenly being elevated. We just, we see it in Corinth. They were elevating, they were finding themselves worthy of just even who they were following. And, and they're always putting a pecking order, you know, of importance. And um, we've got to really be careful because it is so easy for all humankind. This is nothing new. It's been the problem since day one um, that, that we can start experiencing success and quickly we can lose our love for other people. So he goes into, um, I, I saw a quote earlier. I'm just, I went to look for it and then now I couldn't find it, but it was A.W. Tozer was mentioning that, you know, a lot of times in this Christian walk, we can look at human success, American success and say, oh, look, I must be right in the center of God's will um, and look how he's blessing me. And Tozer gives a warning, you know, for us to question, is that a blessing from God or is that really 
the enemy luring you with shiny things. We need to know that we know that we know that the success came from God and it's not just there to lead us astray. So things that we can do. This is a list where we examine our hearts. It's also a list where I took the time as I went through each one to identify someone that I know that operates in this fruit. Now, we have to be careful because it's very easy for us to say, well, I know somebody who isn't patient or I know somebody who in the negative light. And while we do that, let's just fight against that. But but let's highlight people that operate in this well. And then that is such a good example for us to follow in those footsteps. And that's what discipleship is, to find a person here on earth that is following Jesus well, and then we emulate them as they emulate Christ. And that's how um, learning is brought by. So he says, love is patient and love is kind. This word patient, it's the word long suffering. And a better word for it is love will endure. Love will endure. It has a long fuse. Think about that even with your kids or with your spouse. How short or how long is your fuse? Fuse. Um, it made me think about um, the beautiful story of Hosea and how he was called to take this um, prostitute into marriage and she kept cheating on him. And then she would return and he would have to take her back because the Lord would say, and it was a picture of God's, his chosen people, Israel, prostituting themselves out to other gods and then returning to him and his long suffering for his bride. And then, um, also it reminded me of Jesus saying that we have to forgive 70 times seven. So love is something that has a very long fuse and it is, it will endure. It's also kind. And I think right off, I told you that I, I assigned people to each of these things. And my grandfather was the most kind human being that I had ever met. Um, in fact, he, he encompassed many of these things for this agape love. But I thought of my grandfather who was so humble and so kind. Love does not envy. Um, this is a uh, where I was thinking, you know, whenever we see people excel in what they do, this is when we get excited for them. Um, there might be um, parts of our flesh that rise up and there's a little jealousy. And that's just something where when we, that happens, we have to identify that. We have to call it out for what it is. So we, we name it, we repent for it, and then we allow our spirit man to grow stronger than our flesh. And we say, no, I'm going to champion them. I'm going to be excited for them. It's when you are happy and cheering on other people in the faith who are running the race. You don't get envious. Envy makes you look weak. A non-envious person has no problem lifting others up. If you do operate with envy, then you will hurt others. And think about this. It was envy that murdered Abel, the very first murder of the Bible that happened in the second generation. It was envy that murdered Abel. It, it was envy that enslaved Joseph. They were all his brothers were envious of him. And it was ultimately envy who put Jesus on a cross. So this envy, we've got to dig deep and get rid of that root. So whenever you do see it, we identify it, we repent, and then you have to put an action step. You might not feel like celebrating someone, but just do it. That's not you being a hypocrite. That is you allowing 
the word of God to get in you and say, you know what? I don't feel like celebrating them, but I'm going to walk in obedience over what I feel. And then over time, with you doing all of those action steps, envy is going to die and you are going to be able to walk in this. So this is something that we've got to practice. Um, love is not boastful and it's not conceited. Remember, Paul's talked a lot about the Corinthians being puffed up. And when we're puffed up, we just explode and hurt other people. Um, but we are to build other people up. So love is not boastful, not conceited. In fact, in this segment, I thought of my uncle Edmund. He is um, on my dad's side of the family. And, you know, when you just look at all that he's accomplished in this world, he is extremely intelligent and he is an extremely gifted architect and one of the top firms in Houston. And he's literally traveled the world um, as the designer for U.S. embassies for a huge brand new university in Saudi Arabia. And I mean, he, he has built things around the world, just extremely talented, um, very wise um, with, with what he has done, extremely successful in the world standard. But then I'm going to also show you how he's successful in God's standard. I can remember one Thanksgiving that he's Lebanese. And so we always have extra people in their family because the Lebanese people are very hospitable. Anyone in the East, hospitality is just different. It's on a different level. And you're always, you know, oh, we've heard of this family or this group of people that didn't have anywhere to go. So there's always people that I don't know at Thanksgiving at dinner. And there was a man there one year and this man was extremely successful. I don't know, owned several businesses, had several homes, um, just all, he had all the things. And I sat in the room. We usually, the family's so big, we're all in different rooms, but I sat in there with them and I listened as this man talked about himself the entire time. And my uncle just listened, made eye contact, smiled, responded. He never one time came back and said, oh, well, you know what? This is what I've done. He never one time did it. He just respected this man, listened, and even celebrated. And I remember just in that moment thinking, this is humility. Because I look at my uncle and think, you don't get more successful than this. And I'm never one time going to say something about himself. Just complete humility. Um, and definitely the opposite of puffed up. Um I, I, I honestly, I put my husband in the category of not conceited, um, where Newly is confident. He's, uh, his, his family has instilled confidence in him, and then his walk with the Lord has, ex has um, built confidence in him. But he is so selfless. He will always be the first um, with people to apologize, to own something that isn't even his to own. And um, he really just doesn't. He's not someone that's trying to make a name for himself. He's just out to love others. And so I've seen the opposite. Not that we're going to name names, but we've all been around people that are constantly like the man at the end of the table at the Thanksgiving dinner, that they're constantly having to tell you everything that they've done. And they'll even go to the extent of tearing other people down just to make them look better. And let me tell you, healthy people can see right through that. So what you're doing is just tearing yourself down in their eyes. Like let, let's identify that we have this problem. And again, let's go to God, let's repent and let's ask him to give us 
um, the confidence that we need because we are a child of God and it's not about our works and the things that we've accomplished, but about our love and devotion and intimacy with him. Just because we are a child of God makes us important and we never want to be somebody who injures somebody else just so that we can be elevated. So, um, also love does not act rude or improper. We there, it always operates in kindness and good manners. I've been, um, so proud of my daughter lately who, um, has had an incident where somebody has been rude on a, a, a regular basis and, you know, I'm ready to tear their head off or whatever. And I always ask, well, how did you respond? And she's like, well, I wanted to do the right thing. And she, she operates in kindness and we're just trying to find that balance where you don't have, be a doormat. That's not what kindness is, but you don't respond with how you're feeling on the inside, how they made you feel like you're not going to respond. I hurt you because you hurt me. So we're going to have, we're going to be kind. We're going to have good manners. Um, love does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It's always putting the interest of other people first. It's not provoked. Um, remember that kind of reminds me of the long suffering. It has a very long fused fuse and love, um, should not, when we operate, we, we let things slide. We let it roll off of our back. We don't just get angry and respond. We, um, deescalate situations. Um, it keeps no record of wrong. I'm going to tell you right here in examining our own hearts, going through this list and repenting. This is something extremely difficult for me. Um, I've re I really try not to keep a record of wrong, but I, that's my weakness. Things will play over and over in my mind, and I have to work at keeping or uh, capturing my thoughts, holding my thoughts captive because that's what my mind does, and I have to stop it, repent for it, and then replace it with the truth of God's word. And so a lot of these things, when we're examining our lives and we're saying, ooh, I don't look like love in this area, there are action steps that you have to take. So yes, we, we, we do ask for the Lord to help us, but it call, we have to call out. We have to name our weakness. We have to name our sin, but then it, it, you have to take an action step and work at doing the opposite. And it might feel hypocritical because it's not natural, but you're walking in obedience. You're allowing the, your obedience to overstep how you feel. And so we don't keep a long record of the things that people have done wrong with us. We forgive them, we move on. Love um, has no joy in unrighteousness. There's no joy in the misfortune of others, even people who have mistreated us. We're not gonna find joy when they um, end up reaping what they're sowing. We, we don't gossip about the misdeeds of others and we're not glad when somebody else fails. It goes on to say that love will bear all things it believes all things. And I love that one of the things that I had read is it's going to choose to believe the best in people. You might hear something about someone and I had to make a decision um, years ago, like, you know what, I've not experienced that in this person. So I'm just going to believe the best in them and either believe it's not true or believe that they had a bad day, just like I have a bad day, but it will believe all things. So let's believe the best in people. It hopes all things. It's finding confidence. It's not pessimistic, but it is optimistic and it endures all things. We can keep going because of love. One of the things that love does is it covers unworthy things about others rather than magnifying them. And I get that from 1 Peter 4, 8. It says love covers a multitude of sins. So we want, if we find out something about someone, we need to go to them and in private, let's address it and, um, 
and we are not going to magnify that to other people. So in all of these things, if we, we all, we all find fault in these things. And again, what we can do is we can name it, we can repent, and then we can work at acting the opposite of this. In verse eight, it says, love never ends. This is something that is eternal. And this is something that we are going to continue to talk about in the verses to come. So know that love never ends. It is eternal. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. Now, in the next chapter, he's going to tell us to pursue prophecy. In the last days, the um, old men and young men are going to dream dreams and the women and the men are going to prophesy. We are to pursue prophecy, but he's telling you it will come to an end, but love doesn't. He even goes on to say, as far as languages, the, the, the speaking in tongues of human and angelic tongues, they will cease. When this world ends, that is going to cease. Um, as far as knowledge, it's going to come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, meaning we don't have all the answers because there is a schism. We, we don't know everything that's going on in the spiritual realm. And that is what the gift of prophecy is for. It's so that God can be a spokesperson to a congregation of people so that they can know his heart because we are not face to face to him. But we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So knowledge and prophecy will come to an end when the perfect comes. Now, through the, the years, scholars have not been in agreement of what the perfect is. A lot of cessationists, those are people that don't believe that the gifts are for today, they believe that when the perfect comes, that was talking about the canon of scripture. So the perfect is scripture, so all of this is faded away. There's another school of thinking is that it's Jesus's second coming. When the perfect comes, when heaven on earth collide, when Jesus comes back at his return, he's perfect and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and that will be perfect. That that is when eternity will come into place and we won't need all of these things because we'll be face to face with God. I am more in that camp. He goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But just like children grow and learn, so should we in our spiritual walk. When I was a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see dis indistinctly as in a mirror. So right now on this side of eternity, it's like we're seeing in a mirror. Now we, if, if you're like me, I can go into my bathroom and I can see pretty crystal clear. I can see the exact image of myself. Remember, Paul is talking in a different culture. And in this culture, in the, the ancient mirrors or just polished metal. So have you ever had any kind of metal, anything like think of a spoon and you polish it up real good? You, you kind of see a blurry version of yourself. Well, that's what he's using to compare. Like we're just seeing a blurry version of the spiritual reality. We don't see it clearly yet, but when the perfect comes, we will. For um, But there'll be a time where we're face to face. Now we know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known, we will know fully and we will be fully known. Now, the three things will remain. So prophecy, tongues, knowledge, all of that is going to fall away when the perfect comes, when we're face to face with Jesus. But he tells us that three things will go with us into eternity. This makes me think, you know, we're not supposed to collect material things in this world because they are not going with us. But what does go with us is faith, is hope. And is love, but the greatest of these is love. Um, 
this really is such a well-known chapter. And a lot of times with well-known um, scripture, we can kind of gloss over it like, yeah, 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 I know it. But this, this is the greatest thing, the greatest gift that we need to use now and operate now, but that will travel with us into eternity out of the three things that will go over into eternity. The greatest one is love. And so we have got to spend time this week self-examining, asking the Lord, not, I mean, there's things that we read in this list. Like I told you the record of wrong. I know, I know that that is something I struggle with, but believe me, there are things that we have blind spots to. So there are other things in this list that we are falling short with and if you take the time and you examine and you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you, He certainly will. Um, I just encourage you. This was a short week, but examine your hearts. Take time today to examine your hearts. We're going to pray, dear Heavenly Father. We just come before you and we thank you that you are perfect love, and we thank you that you you came in human form to show us what perfect love looks like. It's not just a concept that we read about and an abstract idea that we are trying to emulate. But Lord, you came in flesh and you showed us exactly what you were talking about. And there are examples all through scripture and all of the characteristics in this chapter that, that um, love is long suffering and endures all things. There are examples all through scripture of us to look at the life of Jesus and to see how he responded when he, um, came up against different obstacles. And so we ask you this morning to examine, help us examine our hearts and our lives and reveal to us areas where we fall short and then help us admit it, confess it, repent of it, and turn and be transformed more into your image so that we can be bright image bearers into this world. I pray that our lives are going to be used to bring other people to Christ. May they see you when they look at us. Let us decrease in you, increase in your holy name, I pray. Amen. I will see you next week. It's going to be a good one. It is chapter 14. It talks a lot about the gift of prophecy, but then we are also going to talk about women being silenced in the church. I can't wait to meet with you. I'll see you next week. Happy reading.